Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. It's great to be with you once again for another virtual Sunday service at Exilic Church as we work through the sermon series from the book of Isaiah called The King of Justice, who redeems. And we're certainly in a time in the life of our church and in our city and in our nation where we're talking a lot about justice and perhaps longing for justice. And one of the things that we see, which is important for us in this moment, it always has been, but it's especially important for us in this moment, is that the justice that we long for is found first and foremost in a person. The justice that we long for is found first and foremost in a person. This is what Isaiah prophesies to the people of his day in Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. And it's just as important a word for us today. So Isaiah says that this promise of justice that God has given is going to come forth from the most surprising of circumstances. He says in verse 1 that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now what Isaiah is referring here, he's talking about the family of Jesse. David, one of the great kings of Israel who received the covenant promise of God to bless all the nations through his line, was the son of Jesse. And yet in this book, Isaiah has been prophesying that because of Israel's own lack of justice, especially the lack of justice on the part of their leaders, spiritual and political, God was going to bring about a great work of judgment, that the nation of Israel was going to be greatly diminished. And it would look perhaps as though the promises of God were not going to be brought to fulfillment. And yet, because God is God, He is always righteous, He is always true and trustworthy, and He always keeps His word. He does bring His promises to a place of fulfillment. 
but he does so in a surprising way. Isaiah speaks here of a shoot from a stump. Think about a stump. Your average stump is not that impressive. If you go to Central Park or you go to one of our great national parks, you're walking through a field, you simply try to avoid the stump and you try not to trip on its root. The stump is never the thing you're looking for. The stump is the thing you're trying to avoid. And the stump certainly isn't something you think is going to be helpful. And yet, it is in this diminished state, in this insignificant place, where the promise of God to bring forth justice is fulfilled. Jesus Christ is born in Nazareth as the Messiah. At this time, the nation of Israel, though delivered from exile, is still greatly diminished from the prophetic hope that described it. It looked like a stump compared to the promises of God. And Nazareth, well, Nazareth wasn't even the center of the stump, but was a root off of the stump. And it was there that Jesus Christ was born. And as the Messiah, Jesus is the person in whom the promise of justice is fulfilled as our Messiah. And what we see is that this promise of justice requires not just any person, of course, but a person with a certain type of character, a certain type of perception, a certain type of power, and a certain type of plan. And let's actually start with the last one of those. Look at this plan. I mean, we long for justice in the ways that we long for justice, and they're real, and they're important, and they're consequential. We think about things like criminal justice reform. We think about uh, righting past wrongs of injustice that are systemic in nature. And as good as those things are, look how they don't approach the scope of the plan for justice that Jesus Christ, as the promised one, has in his own view. This is an extraordinary plan. Verse 6, this is a plan of cosmic transformation where we see the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion will be fattened together, a child will lead them. What's going on here? This is a picture of a different order of reality altogether. A level of peace not only with human beings, not only with uh, human beings with one another, or not only with human beings and God, but a level of peace with nature itself. Look at verse 8. A child's playing over the hole of a cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. What this imagery is intended to convey is a complete removal of hostility, a peaceful existence, complete peace for the whole world, human beings with God, human beings with one another, human beings with nature. This is an incredible plan that satisfies the deepest longings that all of us would have for any kind of justice, environmental justice, social justice, justice with God. It's all here. And look, it's also an inclusive plan. It's for all people. Look at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse 
who will stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place will be glorious. All people will be united in this transformed physical reality, a place of perfect justice and peace. And all people will be united inquiring of the great King of Justice Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be glorious because in that place, heaven and earth will have united in perfect harmony. And there will be everlasting peace in every direction. So that's the plan. That's the plan that Jesus has. And that's the plan that satisfies every longing that we can imagine for justice. God and people, people to people, people and nature. This is the justice promised and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Well, what kind of person is Jesus and why is it so important that we start with him when we think about justice? Well, the first thing we see here is that Jesus has this incredible character as our, as our Messiah, as the fulfillment of the promise of justice. He has the wisdom and the understanding to make a right judgment. We see that in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. He has the counsel to develop a plan, and he has the strength to execute the plan. You see, if you don't have the plan, you can't have justice. If you don't have the strength, you can't have justice. If you don't have the insight, you can't have justice. Jesus also has knowledge. He intimately knows his God and Father. The God and Father who created us. He knows him personally. He has a relationship with him. The Spirit of the Lord is resting upon him. There's a picture of fellowship here, of Father with Son, brought about by the Holy Spirit as Jesus, as our Messiah, walked on the earth. And he has also the right set of motivations. Verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Now, this is not a sort of uh, terrifying type of fear. This is an honoring fear, a reverence. What's being said here is it's what's motivating Jesus Christ, the King of justice, is the honor of his Father in heaven, the author of justice itself. So you see Jesus here as the King of justice prophesies, one who will have um, this incredible, incredible character. The wisdom to know what should be done the counsel to make a plan and the might to carry it forward, the relationship with God and a love for God that governs every decision. Character, character. You know, we look at people today. It's very easy to criticize failures of justice. And part of our role as citizens in this country is to do that very thing. And as democracy, we have a great responsibility to make our voice known to vote, to be informed, to shape laws that are just, to hold accountable leaders who were unjust. And we march toward what we've described as a nation as this more perfect union. That's all right and good, but it can also lead to this incredible sort of what we might call 
self-righteousness or self-justice, self-proclamation that we ourselves are just. And we can easily forget about the ways in which we ourselves don't live just lives, the ways in which we fail to love our neighbors, or even our own family, friends, or co-workers. We can forget the ways that in our own character, we don't honor God. We don't honor God who is himself the author of true justice. It flows from his own holy character. As we're thinking about justice a lot, we need to look at Jesus, then we need to look at ourselves, and we need to see that we don't have the character of Jesus. So we turn to him, and when we turn to him, what we find is that not only is he wise, is he able, does he have a desire to glorify the Lord, but he is most gracious, he is merciful, and he is forgiving. See, this promised king of justice offers us participation in the justice that he brings about, and he begins with us. That's the order in which he brings about justice. He comes first to save us from the grip of injustice over our own lives, our own sin, to deliver us from that bondage. And the scriptures have this wonderful way of speaking about what it is to experience this salvation. It's a beautiful phrase. It's called in Christ. It's all throughout the New Testament. It's the primary way that the Christian life is described. We are in Christ when we know Jesus, the King of justice. And what that means is this. It means that in fellowship with Him, His character through the ministry of His Holy Spirit starts to become our character. We look to Him, we're transformed to be more like Him. It means that in fellowship with Him, our sins and failures and injustices, we're not held accountable for those before the justice of God because He bore that justice on our behalf. It's such a radical change to know Jesus like this that the scriptures refer to it as a new creation, being born again, being seated in the heavenly places. In a way, it is, and it's called in scripture, a down payment on this future perfect reality. We participate in the world to come now in fellowship with Jesus supernaturally by his spirit. And in so doing, when we worship him, when we focus on him, when we look at him, the one on whom the spirit of the Lord rests, with wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. When this is the one whom we focus on, we find our character inching toward his character and our lives inching toward his lives. And we find that we ourselves can become agents of doing justice and mercy as he did in our own spheres, in our own way. We can't do everything all the time, but God has placed us in a certain context. He's given us a certain amount of influence. Some people he's given more influence, others he's given less influence. He's given us a certain range of responsibilities. He's given us a certain area of calling. And it's within that context, honoring our Father in heaven with regard to the place that he has put us, that we exercise this justice in fellowship with Jesus. We do justice and mercy as he's called us to do it. So this is the character of the King of Justice this promise of justice fulfilled in this person, the king, 
Jesus himself. And he invites you to participate with him first by acknowledging your own injustice and receiving his justice on your behalf. And then walking with him in this joyous fellowship as one who does justice and mercy. As we continue to think about the person of the Messiah here, we see that this character yields a certain type of perception. This is a remarkable verse, particularly I think in our day and time. It's a bit mysterious and there's different interpretations of what it may mean. But the second half of verse 3, we read this. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Then in verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. What's being said here is that the Messiah, Jesus, with his perfect character and perfect knowledge and perfect sense of justice, isn't bound by the same limitations. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Now, we might think, shouldn't you want to judge by what your eyes see? Isn't that the most obvious thing to do? Shouldn't you want to judge by what your ears hear? Isn't that the most reasonable thing to do? And of course, in a sense, it is, isn't it? But also, we know that our eyes and our ears can betray us. They can betray us because of the sinfulness of our own hearts that distort what we see. They can betray us because we're given wrong information. They can betray us because we are finite people and we don't know how to interpret the information that we have. See, there are all these limitations on our eyes and our ears. Again, it is a mysterious verse in a way. It demands a lot of reflection. But what's being stressed here is something unique about Jesus, and that is that his perception is perfect. With righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus sees through it all. And one thing is for sure, our eyes and our ears, sometimes they'll serve us well, sometimes they won't serve us as well at all, but one thing is for sure, we won't even begin to approximate justice if we're not looking at Jesus and seeing through his eyes to the best that we can. He has the perfect perception flowing from this character that he has, and his knowledge as the Son of God to exercise justice. So from his character flows this perception, and from his status as the Son of God flows power. Power. Look at what we see in the second half of verse 4. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Very strong language about Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of the final judgment. There will come a time when Jesus, who was born like a a shoot from a root in Nazareth, uh, from a diminished town and a diminished state of the nation of Israel, crucified, risen, now reigning over all things, there comes a time when he is coming back and there will be a great act of judgment. Every deed of evil will be judged on that day. We won't ever find perfect justice executed on this earth 
until that day comes. And we need to be realistic about that. Not realistic in a way that would cause us to not care. Not at all in the way that we would say, I'm not going to do justice and mercy. I'm not going to pursue or advocate for those whose rights are being deprived. Not at all that. But more the realism of comfort that says, though it may look like in this particular situation or that, that evil is reigning, it is not. It will all be made right one day decisively. See, Jesus, the person in whom the promise of justice is fulfilled, has power to bring about justice. This has so many implications for us, but one of the things it allows us to do is to forgive. It allows us to even forgive those who don't ask for forgiveness. It allows us to look with pity and sincere concern on our enemies even, even those who have harmed us, because we know that justice is coming for them. And we would long that they would see the error of their ways and find the same grace and mercy and salvation that we have found in the King of Justice himself, who died and rose for our injustices. See, this power frees us to forgive. This power also gives us great hope. It may look like injustice is reigning in one sphere or another, in one nation or another, in one situation or another, in one courtroom or another. We could go on and on. It may look like injustice is carrying the day, but it is not. There will be a great day of justice, and Jesus Christ is the one who is going to execute that justice. He has the power to do this. And look how he's described. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. This is in verse 5. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. He is surrounded by goodness when he exercises his judgment in the end. It will be a perfect accounting. And again, as tempted as we are to look at others as we advocate and pursue justice, we need to daily temper that also with looking to Jesus and looking at ourselves and making sure that we belong to him. Because on that day, when this great justice is rendered, the only people that will survive that rendering of justice, that will survive that, the only people are those who have come to Christ and received his gracious offer of salvation, received the reality that their injustices were satisfied by him through his death in the most gross and unjust manner on a cross, a Roman cross of crucifixion, and that he was raised on their account to vindicate uh, them of the penalty of their sins. Those are only ones who are going to survive. Do you know this Jesus? Are you ready for that day? And sometimes I think as a preacher, I've not preached enough of this reality of future judgment. Sometimes we think that it's not good news. And yet with what we see going on in our world right now, we need the confidence to know that there is a future and final reckoning of all types of injustice. But we need not to stop there. We need to let it draw us to the King of Justice himself for our own deliverance in the bonds of injustice. You know, as we think about how to move forward in these days in the life of our church, it's helpful to think 
in two ways. First thing we need to consider is this. Do I know the king of justice? Do I know the person in whom the promise of justice is fulfilled? If you're not in a place where you're convinced yet, but maybe this message about this great plan that's to come, uh, this power that Jesus has, this incredible character that he's had, if this message has got you thinking, we're so glad for that. And what we'd like for you to do is not to rush to judgment one way or the other, but just to continue thinking. And contact one of us uh, at Exilit Church or some other person that you know who may be able to help you. But don't let your questions sit unanswered. Explore, learn more about Jesus and what he has to say about justice for you and for the world. Perhaps you're a person who hears this word and you realize that you've fallen far short of the mark yourself. For you know that this king of justice is a merciful king and he invites you this day to come to him to pour out your heart before him of your own sins and inadequacies and failures and to receive afresh his forgiveness. And the very spirit of the Lord that rests upon him in his earthly ministry is the same spirit of the Lord that will bear witness with your spirit that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, and will enable you to live out this life of justice and mercy for him. Do you know this Jesus? And the second question for us all is, are you pursuing his justice? You know, some of us have really rested and we've enjoyed resting in what Jesus has done for us. This idea that there's a just God who is a holy God and a righteous God and that we have sinned against him and we deserve justice, which would be punishment. That idea we've embraced long ago. And we are genuinely thankful and rejoicing that Jesus Christ bore that justice for us. But for some of us, we've stopped there. We haven't allowed or embraced this reality that Jesus wants to do justice and mercy in and through our lives. For some of us, we haven't been taught that from Scripture. And that is not your fault. But you know, the Jesus who saves us, the Jesus who delivers us from our own injustice and reunites us with our Father in heaven, is also a Jesus who, walking in fellowship with His Spirit, has appointed wonderful things for us to do right where we are. Justice can seem overwhelming, but we start where we are in fellowship with Jesus, in our particular place and station in life, seeking that our delight would be in the fear of the Lord like His is, and doing the next right thing we see um, right before us. Hey, thank you for listening, and I uh, hope you'll tune in again in a later on, on, for our next Sunday service as we continue this series on the King of Justice who redeems.